Good morning. It is great to see you. Uh, let me just mention before I jump into our sermon, the insert that was in your bulletin, uh, two, two ways to get involved uh, and uh, partner uh, with people that are uh, doing ministry in uh, Ukraine, MTW, uh, Mission to the World, and Hope International on the backside. So just check that insert out if, um, if you want to know uh, some ways to get involved there. Uh, but as Trevor just prayed, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you decided to, to worship with us this morning. Uh, today is the first Sunday of Lent. This past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of this season uh, that we signify with the purple color. So if you've been here in the past, you, the colors were green for Epiphany. Now they're purple for Lent. And uh, on Wednesday night, I encourage everyone to pick up a devotional that we've uh, made to just kind of hand to you or, or to at least use some type of uh, resource in this season of Lent to ask God to change and transform you in, in this season. And I also encouraged uh, two, two other things besides uh, resources. I encourage you to uh, give something up and take something up in this 40-day season. To give something up. This is what Timothy alluded to uh, and talked about in his homily on, on Ash Wednesday, to fast. To give something up in this season uh, so that in doing so, you feel your, your sense of need that it, as you experience the loss of something, uh, you would then turn uh, and encounter God and allow God to fill you up uh, in this season of Lent. And then uh, I, I gave some suggestions. You could give up food or drink. You could give up technology or the, the amount of time you spend on technology. You could give up social media. You could give up spending money on certain things. Right, The, end, the list is endless, uh, but I would encourage you to, to pray and, and ask what, what might be something you could give up in this season. And then secondly, what is something you could take up? Uh, not just give up, but take up. I think in taking something up, you, uh, w what happens is we, we give our heart to something and God shapes our hearts, it, it changes our love toward the thing that we take up. And so I, I said, there's an endless list here too, but you could take up praying at certain times of the day. Maybe you've just kind of prayed throughout the day. Maybe in the seasonal event, you pray morning and evening or morning, midday and evening. Maybe you pray for people that God places upon your heart. Uh, maybe you take up gratitude. And you try to be intentional about every day rejoicing and being thankful to God uh, for uh, all that's going on in your life. Um, again, it, it could be a, a host of things there. But I do pray, my prayer for us in this season of Lent is that God would be transforming us as his people. Um, I don't know uh, if y'all heard the big announcement, uh, the big news yesterday. Did y'all hear it? Y'all heard it? Yeah? The Auburn Tigers are SEC basketball champions. Y'all heard it? Some big announcement. That was a big news, big announcement. I know there was a, a big game yesterday inside Cameron Indoor, and it was a legendary coach's uh, last game on his home court. But before that game, the Auburn Tigers beat South Carolina and were announced as the SEC champions outright. It's fun to be an Auburn Tiger basketball fan this year because it's not fun to be a football fan. Uh, it's, it's not... not Football is not our sport at the moment, uh, but it was big news. It was big news. But to be honest, this news had very little impact on me. I celebrated for a moment. Our family were watching the game. We celebrated and we rejoiced, and then I carried on about my Saturday as I would any other Saturday. I woke up this morning the way I would wake up any other Sunday morning. The implications of this news upon the way I live my life 
It's very minimal. Well, last week in our series in 2 Corinthians, Timothy preached on chapter 5, and we heard a major announcement of a much different sort from the Apostle Paul. We heard the greatest news, that God has reconciled us to Christ, that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. This is a different type of announcement because this good news announcement implicates everyone and it changes everything. It cannot be moved on from, it cannot be celebrated for a moment and forgotten the next. It changes the course of our lives and the course of this world. That God has done something. God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus. And this is accomplished by the great reversal Jesus taking our sin on on himself on the cross and giving us his righteousness. And therefore, the world will never be the same. The problem in our text this morning is that for the Corinthians, nothing has changed as a result of this good news. They continue to live the same lives as before. The shape of their life looks no different than their Corinthian neighbor's. And so Paul appeals to them, and the Lord appeals to us this morning to let the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done, really change us. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we give attention to God's word. Hear now the, the word of the Lord. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your heart also. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Well, God, I ask that you would come and speak to us. Holy Spirit, you would fall fresh upon us as a community, that our minds and hearts would be ministered to by your word through the spirit by your grace being poured out upon us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing to you and that you would transform us 
because we have been with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You get him a seat. Well, our, our passage begins in verse 1 with this strong admonition. Look at verse 1. Paul writes, working together with him, with God, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. Let me try to illustrate that uh, with a simple illustration for you. Seven months ago was my 43rd birthday. And my parents and Rachel's grandparents sent me birthday cards. Both cards had checks in them as, as a gift. And I was extremely thankful. I, I, I called them both, said, thank you for your card. Thank you for the checks. And I then put the checks on the countertops in our kitchen. And I didn't pay close attention to them and slowly forgot about it. Over time, they were moved from our countertops to who knows where now. <laughs> There's not a mason in the house who knows where they are, I've asked. And I'm sure I moved them uh, and forgot where I put them. Well, Rachel's granddad and my mom reached out to me on almost the same day six months later, about a month ago, asking, did you deposit our check? You see, they're of the generation and of the ilk of balancing checkbooks, right? <laughs> like many today. And they saw they had an outstanding check not cashed or maybe their bank contacted them. So they followed up with me about it. And I, I still have no idea where the checks went. Never able to deposit the money, never able to use the money. That is receiving something in vain. You're giving something fully but you don't do anything with it. The gift does not accomplish its purpose. And Paul admonishes the Corinthian church, do not receive the grace of God in vain. The grace of God is the gospel proclamation that Paul makes in chapter 5, that God has reconciled you to himself, that God has made you righteous through Christ, that what we cannot do for ourselves what we cannot earn nor work for, God has done for us. This is grace. Grace is the antithesis to Terry, the accountant in the Pixar movie Soul. You seen the movie? Terry really is the only villain in the whole movie. Her job is to keep track and count the souls that go into the great beyond, right? Life after death. Terry loves record keeping. She loves trophies. Terry wants to do her job perfectly. Terry does not like souls cheating death unjustly. And she does not uh, like it when she's not recognized for a job well done. Terry is the representation of the non gracious world in which we all live record keeping looking for recognition for what we do, trying to attain, in the words of David Zoll, the feelings of enoughness. You know, that, that feeling of being enough that we pursue in so many things, like our work or school, our bodies, our finances, our social media status, our social engagement, social justice engagement, our children's future, looking for enoughness and Make no mistake about it, buying into the values of our non-gracious world has implications on the way we live. Well, Paul is making an announcement of grace that God has done what we could never do. And the question 
is have we received the grace of God in vain? Is it being cashed in? Is it affecting our lives? Is it affecting our lives? The grace of God is powerful. It is the key to the Christian life. It is honey to the soul in a world providing vinegar for the soul. And so this morning, I want to talk about grace. And I think Paul uh, gives us two implications uh, of God's grace in our life. The first implication is that grace enables us to accept life on life's terms. Grace enables us to accept life on life's terms. See, the, the Corinthian Christians, they were buying in to what the Corinthian culture was selling. If you, if you haven't been here, let me remind you, Corinth was this bustling city. It was a place of upward mobility. People were climbing the ladder, chasing success, seeking money, and they were looking good in the process. The Corinthian dream, it was the Corinthian church's dream. The, 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 the Christian's life in Corinth didn't look much different than their neighbor's life. Now let that sit for a second. Does your life look any different because you are a Christian? Would your life look the same if you were not a Christian? All too often, we buy what the world is selling. The vision of the good life that we chase is the same vision of the good life that everyone else is chasing. And we pursue it with the same values as our non-gracious world. And it leads us to fear, anxiety, control, depression, mania. Listen to the way Paul describes his life in verses 4 to 10. He, he, he lists his trio of troubles, general troubles. Right? Paul talks about hardship, calamities. And, and then he talks about troubles from others. Beatings, imprisonments, riots. And then he, he talks about self-inflicted troubles, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. And these, these were the very things that, that made the Corinthians question Paul's authenticity as an, an apostle. In their minds, God's favor meant upward mobility in society or at least a life free from suffering and pain. And Paul was describing a whole lot of tragedy. I was talking with a friend in our church the other day. And we were talking about how the older we get, the more we realize that life is just chock full of tragedy. Pain and sufferings we never saw coming. Unmet expectation. Life is tragic. As Man in Black and the Princess Bride said, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. If we spend our lives buying what the culture sells, believing that pain and tragedy is to be avoided at all costs, we will suppress, oppress, deny, numb. But on the other hand, the grace of God, the goodness of God, enables us to accept life as it comes. It, it enables us to accept life on life's terms, which means to accept sadness, loss, pain, regret, and to trust that God is at work in the midst of it all. The Oscar-nominated movie, Don't Look Up, has a striking, unexpected moment of grace in it. This, this movie is a comedic drama about a nine-kilometer meteor that's barreling toward Earth. And there are many people that don't believe that this meteor is coming. And so they, they say, don't look up, so that you can just keep ignoring the reality. 
And there are others like Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence who are trying to shout it out all over the media outlets that the world is coming to an end. The tragedy of all tragedies is approaching. And the moment of grace comes at the end of the movie. The family of Leonardo is gathered with friend, uh, their family and other friends, Jennifer Lawrence there around the dinner table, and they're talking and they're laughing, very aware that at any moment the meteor is going to strike and life is going to end. And the wife asks, can someone say grace? And the boyfriend of Jennifer Lawrence, who is a closet evangelical Christian, says, can I pray? Or, or says, I, I will pray. And you would think in a Hollywood movie, the prayer would be like Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby's prayer, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. But, but listen to this prayer and don't look up. Dearest Father and Almighty Creator, we ask for your grace tonight despite our pride, your forgiveness despite our doubt. And most of all, Lord, we ask for your love to soothe us through these dark times. May we face whatever is to come in your divine will with courage and, and open hearts of acceptance. Amen. How about that for a prayer in an Oscar-nominated movie in 2022? May we face whatever is to come in your divine will with courage and open hearts of acceptance. Listen, church, tragedy does not mean we're missing the mark somehow. God is not like Terry the accountant, keeping records, seeing how much good you've done and how much bad you've done, and then rewarding you accordingly. God is gracious and he's good. And God has worked fully in Jesus and he's working out his plans in our life and in this world. And so we can accept life as it comes with the valleys and the mountains. And we are empowered by grace to face whatever is to come, trusting that God is at work through his spirit, producing in us his life. I mean, look at how Paul describes his life here in our passage. Purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, genuine love. And then he goes into his list of both and, honor and dishonor, treated as imposter yet true, unknown yet well-known, dying and behold we live, punished not yet killed, sorrowful and yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. Paul is enabled to accept life as it comes, trusting that God is at work. And the gift of God that is produced in his life is patient endurance. Paul is the man in the arena who is beaten down but gets up. Bloody but presses on. Facing conflict but not turning away. Not in order to prove himself worthy. Not in order to show that he's enough. He's not trying to prove anything. He is filled with patient endurance by the Holy Spirit, verse 6. He's trusting that God is at work, bringing life out of death. And early Christian writers called this patient endurance the highest and greatest of all virtues, that it was peculiarly Christian. Patient endurance. How about that for a virtue that sets us apart? For sets the church, that sets the church apart. May God's grace be poured out over and over on us. That God has done what we cannot do. And may it lead us to accept life on life's terms. The second implication of grace that I think Paul is highlighting 
this morning in our text is that grace enables us to live with wide open hearts. Uh, we've stated multiple times in this series, if you've been with us, that 2 Corinthians is one of Paul's most heartfelt letters. He's deeply emotional and passionately loving towards this congregation. And in verse 11, he turns very personal again. Uh, look at verse 11. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. He, he names them. And he says, our heart is wide open and Paul longs for the Corinthians to do the same. Look at verse 13. He says, in return, I speak as to children. Again, great affection. Uh, in return, I speak as to children. Widen your heart also. See, Paul is telling them that the grace of God enables him to widen his heart towards them so that all emotions can flow through the widened road of his heart. But something, verse 12, is restricting their affections. The Corinthian church is emotionally cramped. I've shared this analogy before that Chip Dodd uses to describe living fully from the heart as someone who lives uh, experiencing life on a scale of 1 to 10. Someone who's living fully with wide open heart experiences life at a 1, embracing sadness as much as possible, and at a 10, embracing celebration as much as possible. Paul is living 1 to 10. His life reveals it. He just described it to him in verses 4 to 10. He, he feels deep sadness and great joy. His heart is wide open. Paul is able to shed big tears and embrace gut-wrenching hurt. He can express questions of all kinds. He can express the need for forgiveness and the need to forgive. And at the same time, he can laugh from deep within. He has the courage to take a stand. He can celebrate all the good gifts that God has given him. This is a wide open heart. The Corinthians are living on a scale of four to six. They're restricted. Not too low, not too high. And we're not sure if someone or something is restricting them, but I think we can assume that the vision of the good life, the control that they are trying to exert to obtain the Corinthian dream is restricting them. Because if we live seeking to control our lives, letting fear dictate, we will never risk our full hearts. We will never widen our hearts. Grace enables us to live with full hearts because God is in control. And God has fully accepted us so we can risk Wide open hearts with joy and sadness, tears and laughter, grief and celebration. And the gift that comes as grace opens wide our hearts is intimacy with others. This is Paul's plea. He longs for reciprocation. His, his heart is open and he wants their heart to be open. He, he's saying, intimacy. He, right? he's, he's saying, look at my life. I will share it all with you. And he wants them to respond with that same level of intimacy. He wants them to share their life with him. If life is lived on survival techniques, on how to win in this world, or how to move up the ladder, or how to protect ourselves from pain, we will think we profit from protecting our hearts. And it will lead us to control. And we will believe that we cannot feel too much sadness or too much joy. And we will live life restricted. 
on a scale of four to six. Grace enables us to open wide our hearts. And what happens is the great gift of intimacy with others. I've shared before about one of my best friends from college dying in a car accident a few years after graduation. Uh, Mitch Drew was an amazing man with this electric personality, that kind of life of the party. He became a Christian in college, uh, and he and I and a few others got to see the Lord work in dynamic ways in his fraternity. Uh, Many people in his fraternity lives were changed by uh, the gospel of Jesus, but became Christians in large part through Mitch's life being changed and him sharing that with them. And at his funeral, uh, I was trying to reflect, when's the, when's the time that I, I, I felt like my heart was uh, at, you know, experienced one to 10, joy mixed with sadness together. And it was at Mitch's funeral. I, I was deeply sad. I was deeply sad because I had lost a man I deeply loved. And I had risked my heart in relationship with him. Therefore, I was honoring the loss of his life with my sadness. I missed him. And at the same time, I was full of joy because I was with friends and family and we were talking about Mitch's life and how he had become a Christian and the impact his life had made and how much we loved him. We stayed up late the night of his funeral crying and laughing. Joy with sadness. And it was one of the most intimate moments of my life with other people that I've ever experienced. So the grace of God enables us to risk our hearts, to widen our hearts, and a gift of doing so is intimacy with others. Are you living one to 10? Are you living four to six? Church, the announcement has been made. The good news that God has reconciled us. God has made us righteous. God has. There's nothing else to do. It's been done for us. This is God's grace to us. And there are implications. We do not need to live by the standards of our non-gracious world, measuring ourselves against others, trying to be enough because Jesus is enough. Has this changed your life? That Jesus has done what we can never do. He accepted life on life's terms. The tragedies of betrayal and insults and beatings and ultimately crucifixion. Jesus knew the Father's plans of reconciling the world through the cross. And so Jesus embraced what came his way, trusting that his Father was at work. So that even in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the midst of agony and longing for things to be different, Jesus was able to patiently endure. And on the cross, Jesus experienced great sadness because he would lose intimacy with the Father and the Spirit because he would take punishment for us upon the cross, the sin upon himself. And at the same time, Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For he knew It would reconcile the world to himself. See, Jesus lived with a wide open heart. He invites us into intimacy with him to experience his grace and in return open wide our hearts to him. Is this grace changing your life? Just because we have so many resources at our disposal that teach us about the gospel and this good news of God's grace doesn't mean our lives Uh, are being changed by it. 
mean, we have Bibles in every translation, podcasts from so many great teachers, churches all around us. It doesn't mean we're cashing in on this grace and allowing it to change our lives. Church, do not receive the grace of God in vain. Let me end by saying this, that I've attended many funerals in my life as a friend, as a part of a family, and as a pastor. And in all the funerals I've been to, I have never heard anyone stand up at a funeral and say, this person was so great because they had X amount of money. This person was so great because they climbed the ladder and they were successful. They chased the American dream and they received it. This person minimized the pain in their life and maximized the pleasures of life. No one has ever said that. Why does no one say it? Because we all know this is not true living. It's not life. People will say this person suffered but loved, struggled but endured, hoped, loved deeply. Life is filled with tragedies, brothers and sisters, but God is faithful. God is gracious. Will you accept life on life's terms? then you'll have patient endurance. Will you live with wide open hearts, then you will have intimacy in your relationship with God and with others. It is the grace of God that enables us to do so. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would, by your grace, by your grace, help us, Lord, to receive life as it comes, knowing that you're at work. And that by your spirit, you would produce your life in us. Lord, help us by your grace to open wide our hearts, not be afraid, not seek to control our lives, but with full hearts wide open, experience intimacy with you and with others. Lord, I thank you how you're working all of our lives. I pray that you continue to meet us and transform us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.